Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 12 of season six of This Spiritual Fix. Today is the replay and the additional content on the injustice wound. Enjoy. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina Wiltsey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much for asking. So here we go. It's time to talk about injustice. It is time to talk about injustice. And I wanted to give a perspective of, we've talked about with some of the other primal wounds about how there is this ability to look at the primal wounds through the drama triangle. Uh And I think that injustice is a really interesting one because of the fact that it mostly shows up as the persecutor, right? in terms of, I would call it a persecutor wound, right? In the sense that it most likely shows up. Right. But I also kind of want to just, obviously people can experience injustice. They experience, you know, things, the, you know, this idea of equity or, uh, or justice or any of those things they experience. Obviously there are lots of people who are victims of injustice in the world. And there are a lot of people who are allies to people who are experiencing injustice in the world. But what we wanted to uh, really concentrate on this episode is the persecutor experience of injustice, which is the need for rigidity and revenge. Oh, yes. Yes. That's that's how my injustice shows up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because we were recording the Ho'oponopono episode, and I was like, oh, this is my injustice. This is how it shows up. Because in a lot of ways, I think that when you... From my perspective, when we were first, I, I think I, re, I originally, when we started off in the primal wounds, I went from the top down. So I went from the throat, which is injustice, down into humiliation. And I would say that I'm really, really exploring humiliation at the moment. But I wanted to kind of harken back to what I talked about in the episode. And what I feel is that for so long I sat in injustice. And it may be because I have an undefined throat center in human design, but we won't get into the complexity of that, (laughs) but that I sat in injustice for so long because I really felt that anything that went wrong in my life, I tried so, so, so hard to try and uh, prevent 
disaster and mistakes and I tried everything I could to try and prevent disaster and mistakes from happening. And when other people were responsible for bad things happening in my life because they didn't pay attention to what I was saying or they didn't think about it as much as I thought about it, I wanted to fucking, I wanted them to burn down. I was just like, right? I was so angry. And that happened so much with my husband. Like so much with my husband because my husband just doesn't think about things in the same way that I do. Of course he doesn't. Right. And I was struggling. I would struggle so much with injustice at first because I would really feel that like I was like, what, you know, why Good. did you make that mistake? Like what? Uh, an example, an example would be example, like, yeah. um, you know, uh, like, oh, like, oh, this is a stupid mistake. This happened a couple of weeks ago. We were putting the we have a pool that we rehabbed in our backyard and we were putting the cover on and he was like trying to put it on long wise as in like he was trying to like basically like imagine like dragging a piece of fabric through 40,000 gallons of water like you know what I mean like and I was just like I had told him I was like if you do it this way it's going to be super easy because it won't get in the water right like this is like the perfect way to do it and he was like no it'll be fine the other way and I had literally done all the fucking engineering calculations in my head about like why it would make more sense to do it like the short ways versus the long ways. He completely ignored me. We wasted a half an hour doing it his way. And then we had to fucking redo it my way. And, and before, years ago, I would have been like so angry and wanted to like make him pay for either not listening to me or not thinking about it in the same way that I did. Because, well, no, I felt the injustice of the fact that I wasted a half hour of my time trying to do it his way, but he hadn't thought about it as much as I had. And so we went with his decision for some reason, and yet he had done none of the work that I had done in my head. You know what I mean? And so I was, you know, I would have been like, I want you to pay for the time that we just wasted because you didn't listen to me. Right. And, and that, and that is like, and, but now when that happened, I just thought it was fucking hilarious. Like two years on, you know, and yeah. however much work that happened a couple of weeks did ago. Did he laugh with you? I, I think that he did laugh because we were just like, we just, it was so absurd. Like it was so absurd how easy it was to do it my way, how hard it was to do it his way and how having to start over again. And, you know, he jokes with me because he, you know, we've gotten to this really beautiful point, I feel like, in a relationship, probably 80 to 90 percent of the time where, you know, he's like, well, yeah, you're almost always right. Like, he, he kind of just admits that I'm oftentimes right about the way that things need to be done. And but I don't I don't need revenge on him anymore anymore. Because he doesn't listen to me. I, I treat it as like. Is it because you've healed your wounds or it's because he admitted that you're always right? Well, that <laughs> definitely helps. <laughs> it definitely helps a lot. Honestly, I feel like it's a level of, of it, there's probably a part of that that helps, that it makes me feel good that he knows that I'm right. But I also recognize that his creative expression in the world and his ability to make mistakes is also a part of our journey together. It was very similar. I described in a short um the short that we played a couple of weeks ago about the dream that I had in which we were getting bit by copperheads. Yeah. My husband and I, cause I recognized that so much of our transformation, I feel like that dream was an indication of what I had already consciously understood, which is that his creation in the world is such an important part of his growth. And I am here for his growth. Like that's not my only purpose, but I'm like, I'm here for it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm sitting here and I'm just like, fuck yeah. in the stands being like, go for it, go for it. And yeah. Like it, the cars. Yeah. And if it like involves me, then I'm okay with that. 
I don't see that as a detriment. Life isn't meant to be this like efficiency and this productivity. <laughs> it's meant to be yeah, sat in connection. And the injustice is rigid. It doesn't allow that. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the Ho'oponopono is that, you know, I went no contact with somebody uh, or low contact with somebody who I felt had done me a grave injustice because I hadn't been recognized for what had happened. And I felt so good punishing them. And I really got off on that. This was like, what, a year and a half ago? Like, I was like scared, but I just felt like finally I had power for the first time in my life. Yeah. And I was going to use it for revenge. Right? And I was also going to use it for protection. At the time I used it, I said, because because I feel like I can't protect myself. I feel like I can't protect my kids. And because of that, like, it was like one part protection, which totally tracks with injustice. It was one part protection and it was one part revenge. Okay. And now that I feel like I've kind of moved again, moved through it and recognize that that person is really suffering as a result of this and that they don't really know what's going on. Of a low contact. And they don't really know what's going on. They can't really figure it out. And in some ways I feel like I might not be the right deliverer of the message, but I think I have some insight but because I've gone low contact, I can't offer any insight or it's like a very limited. And, and like I said, I'm not going to go in and be like, hey, this is how you can get fixed. Like that's I'm the last person who should do that probably in this situation. But I feel like I have really moved away from the rigidity of that boundary because for one thing, my kids have grown up and I feel like I've taught them how to stand up for themselves and they're learning how to stand up for themselves in a better way. Obviously, they're still growing, so they understand that. And I also feel like I don't need revenge because I can validate myself. Does that make sense? I feel like revenge is when you feel like... Powerless. You feel powerless. So you're trying to enact the same pain that happened to you onto somebody else. Right? You're trying to basically, literally, like an eye for an eye is like, I felt powerless when you took my eye, so I'm going to regain the power by taking yours. Right? And obviously... Or is it regaining power or is it, I want you to feel how I feel? Well, there is power in that by, by belittling someone, by put, by making uh-huh. somebody feel smaller as a result of it. And so I started to realize that I didn't, you know, like they say in all the fucking movies, I didn't actually feel better because of revenge, especially when I started to realize how much they were suffering as a result of it. Right? It doesn't mean that I'm not going to sure they suffer? How do you know they suffered? Well, because I basically heard in the exact same way that I used to suffer as a result of having what I would call autistic meltdowns, right? When I would get overstimulated with my kids and I would just be like, don't touch me. Blah. Like I would just go into these like places where it was like my brain just like turned off and I was just like so, so overstimulated. As soon as I started recognizing that was happening, I would come out like it, it, like it literally when those things used to happen, I used to go into this. It was like I was stuck. <laughs> the anger key on me was stuck. Okay. Right? Like it just wouldn't. It, I had so much anger from being overstimulated and like having all these different things happen that I was like, okay, I have to do something. I felt like I was the worst person in the world because it was like the anger was so, so bad because I didn't understand the stimulus, the overstimulation was what was causing the anger button to get stuck in. It was causing this like meltdown. Right. And as soon as I recognized that the pattern that was going through, I was able to forgive myself, right? And I was also able to prevent it from happening again 
because I would recognize when I was getting close to being overstimulated and I would destimulate myself, right? Like I would basically understimulate myself or I would like take away the triggers. Uh-huh. But the, the idea being that like I saw something similar in this person as I saw in myself. I saw and I, and I got a story of the same self-hatred that they felt when they couldn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand the mechanism of getting super, super angry as a result of something that was so small and irrational. And I could see the same thing. It's like I developed compassion for that person, and that's when I started to realize that revenge was not the thing. And now the contact is purely based on protection and not on revenge anymore. So that's how I've come with injustice. How have you experienced injustice, Anna, in terms of... Revenge? Revenge, yeah. Well... I don't know. I haven't felt the desire for revenge lately. No, I, I should lie. That's a lie. I felt the desire for revenge, but I haven't acted on it. Um, what is the experience of revenge for you? I want them to hurt like I hurt. Like I, It's this desire that's like, I want you to hurt the way I've hurt, because then it will be fair. Yeah. Or it's unfair you made me feel this way, therefore I need to punish you and you need to feel what I feel. Right. That's that's how it's been historically for me. Um but lately I haven't acted on that desire. Maybe because my anger hasn't gotten high enough or maybe because I just you know I don't know. For example, the person who I've I've talked about a lot during this this primal wound season about, you know, who's hurt me. And, and I think historically I would have wanted to like take revenge on them, but now I don't. I don't feel the desire to inflict revenge because I feel like it's a waste of time. I don't know if that's a, a growth thing or or what, but I'm just like they may or may not hurt the way I hurt if I take revenge, and then I'm kind of like wasting my own energy. You're just like karmically tying yourself to that person hardcore yeah and it's just like it's not it's not like worth it yeah i think that's the same it's a similar conclusion right like that i'm just like it's not worth it it doesn't solve anything right like i've taken revenge on people before and it just makes the story last longer because you start getting caught up in you know did they feel it did they did they did they receive it did they feel what i feel you know Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. In, and I'm not God. Like, who am I to inflict it? They're, they're going to, if there is a karmic balance to the world, they will get theirs, so to speak. And if not, not. I don't know. I think it's kind of like a lack of wanting to play God, maybe. Yeah. Not, not that I'm not that I'm so evolved or anything. Like, I just, I'm just not in the revenge mindset at the moment. Yeah. And I think that that, I think it makes sense because I think that to your point, like, I don't know, in my life review, I just, I always think of that song Galileo by the Indigo Girls. Galileo's head was on the block. Yeah. And there's a line, um, it talks about maybe I'm serving time for a crime that I made made, in another lifetime. uh, Yeah. Mistakes made by another in another lifetime. How long till my soul gets it right? Yes. Could any human being ever reach the highest light? 
and there's a line that says, because um, maybe, you know, I, it just talks about how we should, maybe we should be living our life for our future lives, right? Like making it easier on our future lives to be able to do it. And I always think about the life review that happens and it's like, am I going to feel really that much better? Like I know that if I don't resolve this thing, with low contact and no contact in this person. Like there's no reason that this person came into my life and I'm not supposed to resolve it in a beautiful way. Like I know that. Like there's no way that this person comes into my life and I don't do that, right? And I feel like that's huge business that I need to take care of in this life, especially because this person is a reincarnation of a previous life in which they were my father and probably had something to do with me getting imprisoned for decades. (laughs) Um, So... That is uh, that relates directly to what Ainsley McLeod Cloud talked about in uh, our the interview that we did with him a couple of seasons back. But you know, there's no way that I'm not supposed to resolve that with this person, and I know that this person is a fundamentally good person. I actually believe that everybody that there are no bad parts, and that people's parts are just acting out. I fundamentally believe that, and so given that, I just know that. I want that resolved by the time that I go. It's not quite the time yet, but it's definitely moved on from revenge in the injustice wound. So if you have the injustice wound, I would recommend listening to the episode that follows, as well as recognizing and seeing the injustice wound through all three of the lenses of the rescuer, the the victim, and the persecutor. Because what I found is that oftentimes if we're looking at the injustice wound from the position of being the wounded, like we're the victim, if we switch positions to either the rescuer or the persecutor, oftentimes we can unlock the wound in ways that we never expected. The change in perspective is huge. And I would recommend that y'all try on different outfits of what it feels like to be the persecutor of someone else who's looking for revenge or the rescuer who is you know wanting to save others from injustice in whatever way is possible or who's experiencing it look and change the lens to see how you are perpetuating it within the chain of events of your life either internally or externally hello christina hi anna how are you doing today it's been a great day it has i'm not working today it's my day off yes and i and i have made my life so that I always get Fridays off. So I am happy about it. And I'm really looking forward to this episode that you will be leading on injustice. It's my turn to lead and I'll be leading injustice. Awesome. In the meantime, I want to tell you about a story. <laughs> tell me about your week. Yeah. So I, so one of our teachers, Charles, which you may have heard, he has a technology. I'm just going to say it like that. He has a technology similar to radionics if you've heard about that but it it started off as like an electrical instrument it was a box that he electronically created that did energy healing and then he started to realize he didn't need the box he unplugged it he unplugged it and he literally just has unplugged electronic boxes in a room as he and his consciousness keeps upgrading this technology what it does is it acts on you in a level of of basically opening up and clearing up things. You could kind of say it in a summary is like, if you want to think of yourself as a, as a a computer, then what it does is it gives you an upgrade to your, your operating system. It's an iOS update. It is. For your 
it's your chakra system. Exactly. It's an OS update. And so I hadn't had it done in, I usually every two to three months, maybe three to four months, I'm like, oh, I really want to do this again because I really feel like I could use the help, the support. Right. And it's, it's like my daily maintenance thing. It's like, instead of going to the doctor, because I don't usually get sick, I just do this every couple of months. And I'm just like, yeah. And it's, this helps me do better at being intuitive and being psychic and all these different things. Like I always have this massive breakthrough. I need to go back to him <laughs> whenever I do it. But I, I genuinely, so I started Originally, I would do like a, just a session. I would go to his house for like an hour and just like lay in the thing. He had a version where he did it every night for 15 minutes, um, for like a week. And that was when like things started to get really real for me in this process. And I would wake up on one of the mornings inevitably and always just be like, Oh, I get this. Like, it was like something that had tried to get through to me before didn't. So like the first one was, I realized that every single person I had a problem with was actually self-hatred. I was just like, every single thing that I hate in somebody else is something I hate about myself. Right. And the, and the lessons have just progressed from there. I make it sound like it's some, this wonder, amazing thing, but it kind of is for me. It kind of is. Yeah. It kind of is for me. So I just did it this week and it had gotten an upgrade because he had gotten an upgrade. So I couldn't tell anything was happening for the first five or six nights, even though there was weird stuff that would happen in the middle of the night. I would, I would just be woken up by crazy things. And that has a lot to do with like needing to physically move your body to like break something up that's needing that that's like if you stay still and you're sleeping you may not have enough physical activity to break something physically up in your body like energetically that is trying to release itself but Sunday morning I woke up I think it was like the fifth or sixth morning and I had a dream about being in a karate dojo and I was so bent on not getting hit by my sparring partner that I was literally like, I, I was like uh, at my waist, I was like leaning backwards. So I wasn't standing Like Matrix, up. Keanu Reeves Matrix. Yeah, yeah. But it like, was like at my waist in particular, like at the, you can see I'm leaning back, right? Uh, and because I was just so hell bent on not getting hit so much so that I couldn't even be on the offensive, right? Like I couldn't even attempt to hit the other person because I was just trying to stay out of the range of their hits. And I just recognized how abandonment because we had just done the abandonment episode and it had it I think I think and in fact Charles confirmed this that talking about abandonment in the episode was enough to stir it up again Mm -hmm. so that the, the episode gave me the access to the wound again my awareness kept building and building and building and I started to recognize how upset I was again by whenever Luke wasn't available or whenever my family left and all these things all this abandonment came up and then I was like, and that prompted me to get this technology to, to request it from Charles, which then huge, massive shedding just like came off of me. This dream happened and then I was nauseated and I was sick. And that whole day and the days that followed, I was just like, oh my God, abandonment is everywhere in my life. And I've been working through it this whole week, but it's been a really cathartic experience for me and to recognize how much my codependence, but also the actual, it's like the mask is gone and it's more about the wound. It's more about like the fear that I have of people leaving me and not being available and like not feeling as if I can do it on my own. So I just want to kind of give an update on that because doing the episode about it triggered this entire thing about, and so maybe for y'all listening to the episode, we'll do that as well. So I wanted to just say that experience that was the way that I have available to me. Like the technology is what I have available to me to help me with that lesson, but call on your support systems to be able to do it as well. 
So, I mean, whether that's calling one of us or, you know, having sessions with one of us or having whatever it is that you need to be able to help you kind of break that up in your system if you're feeling that abandonment wound. So I wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So today I'm going to talk about injustice. In our previous episodes, we discussed abandonment and rejection. This is the third primal wound called injustice. Mm-hmm. We still have betrayal and humiliation left to go. So it's a smorgasbord. We drink from all cups. You know, we all have all of this in us. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the injustice wound. Yep. So it's funny because in my preparation of the injustice wound, I freaking like fell into injustice. I started to see it in my life. It's funny because like, I feel like I went through, I feel like I went through a lot of the injustice wound last year when I was processing this and like working on it. And then like this week, just as recording abandonment brought up a lot of abandonment in you, preparing for today brought up a lot of injustice in my world. So I'll, I'll talk about that. But the first thing I want to do is just describe what the injustice wound is. So it is this perception of right and wrong. And when you feel like you have been victimized by an injustice, there is anger. There's often a desire for revenge, mm-hmm. there, uh, like to even the scales. You might be mad that someone did something and you might feel betrayed or rejected by them. But like if there's a dose of, well, I got to get them back or they need to suffer too. You might, it's my, most likely you're dealing with an injustice wound because there's this desire to like make it right, make it right. So like all the wounds, you have a corresponding mask for the wound, meaning like the abandonment wounds mask is codependency because if I'm codependent, this person will never leave me. Mm -hmm. The rejection wound is the fugitive meaning. If I run away from them, they can't hurt me. And the mask for injustice is rigidity or harsh. So Mm -hmm. they're like very rigid. They're very harsh. Things have to be done in a certain way. There's a lot of unrealistic expectations, which they put on others and themselves and also perfection. And one of the things that gives them anxiety is relaxing. So with the injustice wound, there is this perceived sense of injustice, Mm -hmm. that something wrong has happened to me. I need to make it right. And I want to just kind of preface that there are injustices in the world. Like there, there is systemic racism. There is systemic sexism. There is, there are true injustices in the world. I'm not trying to say that those are okay. What I'm trying to do is say, are you really having an injustice happen in your life? Is this, is this your wound or is this a true injustice? Now, this is my yardstick. Like I have a yardstick. Mm-hmm. If a hundred people experience the exact same thing that you are experiencing, would they all have the same reaction? Then you know it's a true injustice. For example, if a hundred people were paid 70 cents for every dollar, would all of them feel that there's an injustice happening? Right. Yeah. They would say, yes. Yeah. Like, why right. I'm doing the same job. Why do I get 70 cents instead of a dollar? Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you have another hundred people and your child has made a huge mess. Would all hundred of those people say an injustice has happened? Maybe not. 30 would say, well, that's just what ch- children do. The other 30 wouldn't care less. The, uh, the other 30 would think something else. And 10 would say, what an injustice. I created that child. That child should know better not to make yeah. a mess. What I'm saying in that situation, you could say like, no, if there is any discrepancy on the reaction, it's probably an injustice wound. It's not a true injustice. No, no. I totally do, do you what you're saying. Say is, I'm trying to say that like there are true injustices in the world and I'm not talking about that. Like I'm not trying to say discrimination's okay or, you know, sexism is okay. I, I'm trying to talk about 
the wound of injustice, which is perceived injustice in interpersonal relationships. No, it makes perfect sense. And it reminds me a lot of what we've said in the past with this whole idea of general or general critique versus specific requests. Right. Right. So it's the whole idea of like, like it's not a matter of saying like, oh, well, people will interpret differently. So therefore it's not injustice. It's more a matter of saying like, you may have an indicator that there is an injustice wound happening if you're doing something and everyone and like you tell your friend about it and your friend's like, okay, that, that sounds bad, but uh. right. Right. Like for example, like if a hundred women are punched in the eye and a hundred women and, and of those hundred women, they all have a black eye. There was some abuse happening there. Right. Yeah. But let's say you have a hundred women and her husband stands her up. A hundred women might have different ideas about injustice. You know, again, 50 will say, well, something important must have come up. 25 will say, well, maybe he had an accident. 15 will be really angry and feel abandoned. And the other five will feel like there's an injustice. So again, you know, like. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a matter of saying that, like, we're going to vote on what is an injustice or what is not, because ultimately whether something is a communal injustice that is happening systemically in a system or whether it's a personal injustice, it is all ringing the bell. Right. It's still ringing your injustice bell. Right. It's still ringing your injustice bell. Right. Okay. So how do you know if you have an injustice wound? One is again, like you perceive injustice, you perceive you're in the victim of injustice. You feel like a need to balance the scales. And then you have two different types of oppressor. You have the oppressed. So that comes with like shame and fear And then you have the oppressor. So you can inflict the injustice wound on others, which is denial, disassociation. In fact, ironically, ironically, the people that I know in my life who suffer from the injustice wound are the most unfair people I know. So yes, you've got that. Yes. So going into my own personal story of injustice, I want to say that with injustice often comes rejection, right? Like I have perceived an injustice, so I will reject you. In fact, some of the most beautiful contributors in this world were say Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, because they did not reject. They were inclusive. They were loving. There was not a um, right, wrong, me, you thing. It was like, there's an injustice, but I'm not going to reject the other side. I'm going to embrace the other side. Do you, you see what I'm saying? There's, yeah. there's no rejection in it. Yeah. Whereas typically what happens, especially right now in our political climate, it's like, I believe what I believe. And if you don't believe what I believe, you're wrong, injustice wound. And not only are you wrong, I'm rejecting you. We have all this divisiveness and all this separation because people aren't able to understand that we can have you know, an unfairness or an injustice between us, but we don't have to reject the other. Yeah, exactly. And you could say, and we've mentioned this in the past, right? Is this idea that like the divine masculine sees things as you and me. It sees things as like, I need to reject you. I need to actively do something to get rid of you. Whereas the divine feminine on the, on the polarity is able to embrace two truths because they are two truths for So like if Anna believes that the sky is blue and I believe this sky is green, the divine masculine in some ways could be like, well, Anna's wrong and I reject her. Or the divine feminine, which is what we're talking about with MLK and Mahatma Gandhi and this whole like um, the, the different methods that they have is they say, you believe it's green and I believe it's blue. 
I am going to watch you believe it's green and I'm going to sit here in my truth that it is blue and I'm not going to reject you while you do it. Right. A wonderful example of that is Daryl Davis, who was a blues musician. And for the last 30 years, he befriended members of the Ku Klux Klan. Let me let me preface this with Daryl Davis was African-American. He became friends with the Ku Klux Klan, meaning he accepted them. He didn't reject them. He made friends with them. And since he did that, he started talking with them. He went to their meetings, yada, yada, yada. He says that in 30 years, 200 Klansmen have given up their robes. And when they do, they give them to Davis. And he keeps the robes in his home as a reminder. If he went into the Ku Klux Klan meetings and was like, you guys are wrong and I'm rejecting you, he would never have the same kind of impact that he had by befriending them and then helping them through his friendship and acceptance of them to show them the other side. Yep. Right. Not everyone can do that, that that Daryl Davis must have really worked on his rejection wound or injustice wound in order to be able to do that. Right. Yep. Yep. And it's called nonviolent direct action, which is this idea of of showing people of basically standing up and being a mirror and saying, you're not letting me do this and this is an injustice. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say the discrepancies and the injustices that are happening, but I'm not going to reject you in the process I am going to, all that can ever be is, I mean, there's that quote that's been going around all around MLK Day, which is this idea that like, you can't, you can't replace hate with hate. Mm -hmm. Darkness cannot take away darkness. Darkness is an absence, not a presence. So to alleviate darkness, you need to bring a presence to it, which is light. Right. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Right. And that's the entire idea of... Uh, being able to hold two truths at the same time and recognize that if you are coming from a place of love and not rejection and you're in the face of injustice, then you will prevail because you are filling the darkness with love. Right. You might be listening to this and not be like a political person or a social person, but you can experience injustices all the time. You know, it's not my turn to take out the trash. There's an injustice. You know, my kids need to be quiet while I'm working. That could be an injustice. Like mm-hmm. you can experience the wound of injustice on a daily level. Every time that you're trying to say things should be this way and they're not, that's rigidity and that's harshness and that is injustice wound. Yep. Yep. As far as on a more interpersonal level with the injustice thing, I'd ask my kids to do something. They didn't do it the first five times I asked. I would feel like righteous indignation, like injustice in that like I'm your mother I do so much for you and you haven't done this one thing that I've asked you to do totally that's my injustice crap you know I have this like OCD thing where like if the house isn't nice and tidy I don't let myself relax like what is that that's harshness that's rigidity that's needing things to be perfect and I have this whole like I can't be happy or I can't relax until everything in the house is in the right place or until the kitchen's clean. You know, like I have this rigidity thing about it, which is a whole fairness, justice, weird thing, which is injustice wound. It's thinking that there is a right and wrong in the world. Yep. And the world is not right and wrong. The world is messy. <laughs> it's it's all just different shades of gray. There's literally no black and white anywhere in this world. It's all just the the shades of gray that exist in between and all of it's going to come from your perceptions and your wounds. And going forward to our kind of forgiveness thing too is like you actually maybe have a hand in everything that's happening, right? I think that that's the healthy view is actually I have a hand in the way that all of these systems are, all these systems of injustice are being held up and I forgive that in myself and I forgive that and I forgive the need to see that that is happening. Right. And then maybe that's how you heal it as opposed to trying to fight. Right. 
tell me about your own your experiences like you I know you say that you lived with injustice for 30 years like how did injustice show up for you right so I would say that injustice really started to show up when I got married especially because uh, I mean it's just like I said it's like a cocktail of abandonment rejection and self-hatred and blah 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 blah, (laughs) like and betrayal and you can you can just like the list goes on but but what I recognize is that Luke and I, my husband and I took on, have taken on so many massive, huge projects that require a lot of energy, a lot of time. There's no, like a friend of mine once said, uh, described this about her, her relationship, but she's just like, we're a working couple. Like we do best when we're doing projects and we're doing things like that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I feel like there's probably a point in Luke and I's life in which we'll be okay not doing that stuff. But to date, we built our own house and constructed it, which we've mentioned in the past. Um, you know, we've tried to homestead. We've we've just done so many things. And, and so for me, injustice has always been in relation to how we divide everything in our lives. Being someone who is a feminist, I never accepted that I had to do more because of anything right? Because I was a woman that didn't mean that I had to clean and that didn't mean I had to cook. That didn't mean I had any more responsibilities than I did. And so the rigidity that I, I mean, I think I chose my partner because I knew that he would split everything, but the rigidity in which I was kind of behaving in my relationship was unfair. It was unfair. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was, it was unfair because I was just like, I was just so insistent about it. And then anytime that I felt that the scales had tipped in my in the favor of him and that he didn't have to do as much even though we're very we're both very cyclical like that's how it works like one person will do a lot one week the next person will do nothing but I would get I would just get all up and I would just and I would always have to point it out you have to tally it see I I was never allowed to do injustice in my marriage because anytime I brought anything up to my husband like hey it's not fair because like I'm doing all this and you didn't do that he'd be like where's your scorecard? Like, why do you have a scorecard? Why are you tallying everything? Yeah. This is a marriage. Like we both give our hundred percent and our hundred percent both might look different to each other on different days, but we both put in our hundred percent. Yeah. And, and my family actually created a tally card. So when I was living in the house two houses ago, we created a board and instead, you know, like how some people do it with the kids, the kids were too young at that point, but like we put every, I remember that. Yeah. Because we put, we put every single chore that you could do and any single time that we did it, we got to put up a magnet and then the magnet then added up to money. So we would just get in fights all the time and I would just be like, all right, well then reward me for all the stuff I'm doing. And it was so interesting because what it turned out is that no matter what happened, we basically all did the same amount of work. Like by being able to see it, you stop being able to create this little thing in your head that said it was, there was Scorecard. an injustice happening. Because the scorecard was actually showing that overall it was about the same. We were both working our butts off. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really, really helped me to get over a lot of my injustice wound because I started to recognize that all of it was in my head. The specificity of what I felt was, oh, I need to, I need to do this. Like, or you need, you're not doing enough. You know, I probably need the reminder again, cause it's definitely coming up again. But it was interesting then because whenever I saw your relationship I Which is t- totally different. Totally different. I would always put my injustice wound onto you. Like to me, it's not unjust. Yeah. If I 
if I'm the one who did like every single night waking, night, night, night waking with my children, it's because I wanted to, like I wanted to. And so there's no injustice in that to me. And like, like, you know, like I bring them to the bus stop every single morning because my husband likes to sleep in. And I love, I love being the last person they say goodbye to when they get on the bus, probably my abandonment thing. But there's no injustice in the fact that I'm the one who does every bus drop off because I want to do it. But on the outside, it might look like an, an unequal distribution of labor. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, if I ever saw you I feel like I, I usually only brought it up when you were just like, I'm done. I need a break. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do get exhausted. But the thing is, I think I would get inzo- exhausted anyways, or I would, I would find injustice anyways, because the wound, the stimulus doesn't create the wound, right? Like the wound is there. Yeah. The wound is there anyway. So it was so interesting because for so long, I just kept being like, Anna, you have got to get some feminism into your relationship. You have got to get some equal standards here. Like this is total bullshit. Like I, I are, I'm the main breadwinner in my family and I still do all the chores. Is that because I'm a woman or because I'm just like cold crazy about keeping it fair between right. the two of us? And it really, I mean, it really, yeah, that's me and injustice. Talking about injustice, like one thing that I really find fascinating about injustice is that nothing really has meaning. Everything just has the meaning we give it. The theme of this week has been like, nothing has meaning. It is the meaning that we give it. That nothing has meaning. Like everything exists in relationship to the meaning that we give it. A great example of this is the story of a true man from India named Pralid Jani. You might have heard of him. He's born in 1929. He was an Indian breathitarian who did not eat or drink. You heard of this guy? Yeah. So he says that the goddess Amba came to him in a vision and said, I'm going to give you Amrita, which is like divine nectar. She like put it in the top of his throat. And she says, I'm giving you Amrita, which is an elixir. And for the rest of your life, you'll never have to eat or drink again. And he has never eaten or drinking since, according to him. The Defense Research Development Organization of India, located in Delhi, heard of him and they have conducted numerous experiments other hospitals have where they have like put him in lockdown kept him under cct surveillance monitored his body temp vitals his urine everything like studied everything to be like is he really not eating or drinking and he's not eating or drinking like Mm -hmm. they would give him a thimble size little thing of water to brush his teeth at night and he would spit it out and they're like, he might have absorbed some of that water, but like he didn't eat or drink for the other 15 days. So like, how is that happening? It's because of the meaning he put on food. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that's a true, true case of someone who believes so firmly in something that he contradicted the laws of nature because his belief was so strong. Mm-hmm. Whether the goddess visited him or not doesn't matter. What matters is he believes she did. And in his belief and in the meaning he put on the miracle that she gave him, boom, this man doesn't need water. Yeah. He doesn't need food. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Wim Hof, right? So have you heard of Wim Hof, yeah, the my husband. Man? Yeah, my husband does the did the course. Right. So, so part of, and, and I'm... I'm doing this only 10% justice, I'm going to say. Luke does it too. So my husband does it too. And it's um, so much of it. It's, it has, it's a breathing technique, right? But the entire idea of Wim Hof is that he, he does this breathing technique and he's committed to an outcome, right? So it's a combination of those two things and it's slightly more complex than that. But 
the idea being that he has had him and his students have been injected with Ebola and never shown any symptoms or mm-hmm. taken on the infection because they are committed to the belief that they can, they, they can go out in sub-freezing temperatures for very long periods of time and not have any issues. Super oxygenating the blood helps in those cases, but so does the commitment and the belief to what you're actually doing. Right. To say, this is not going to affect me, and I'm committed to that. The, the majority of the injustice wound relies on the meaning that you're giving arbitrary things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the meaning that you're putting on things of being fair or not fair. I kind of want to talk about one way that I made a huge dent in my injustice yeah. wound, and then I want to hear yours. Okay. During the political fervor of divisiveness, I stood on one side of the political agenda very strongly to the point that if people didn't agree with a certain topic, I would reject them. Either maybe not overtly, maybe overtly, maybe in aggression in a conversation, but I could not have a conversation about some of these topics without getting very angry to the point that you would avoid the people and I would avoid the people in the conversation because I was like I was like you can't believe you don't believe this I don't want to be around you you Mm -hmm. know that kind of thing so I had an RTT which is a Marissa Peer rapid transformation therapy you start the session with an intention and my intention was I want to understand why I reject and become so triggered by injustice whenever about about certain political topics because for the most part I'm accepting and forgiving of everyone I can respect differences in religion differences in a lot of things but like certain political topics I just could not like see beyond it so I did my RTT and in the RTT I had to go back to my childhood and I saw three different memories in two of the memories it was a situation where I was laughed at as a child for something. And in the third memory, I was I was told not to go near this dog. And I went near it anyways, and it bit me. And while my mom and aunt were nursing my wounds, they were scolding me for going near the dog because they had told me not to. And I went. And in my like horrible fear and pain of being bit by this dog and needing my new wounds nursed, I was being scolded. So there was this sense of injustice, right? And going back to where I was being laughed at in the, in the other memories, it was like my feelings were important. I was being laughed at and there was a sense of injustice. So what did I learn from that RTT was when I perceive injustice, when I perceive in, uh, a threat, when I perceive being vulnerable, I reject. Because if I reject the other person, it's kind of like shiny object, shiny object, the the magician with his shiny object, look over here, slide a hand. If I can reject them or attack them, I don't have to actually be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? It was a defense mechanism to avoid vulnerability. And I kid you not, the day after I had that RTT, I was having a political conversation with someone that I've had the same political conversation with this person for the last 10 years. And that person has never seen my side of things. I have the same opinion that I have on that political thing. It's not that I, it's not like I suddenly had a change of heart. I no longer had the need to reject. I had no longer had the need to attack. So as this person presented their ideas, I listened respectfully. I presented my ideas respectfully. I presented the same ideas I have been presenting for 10 years. What was the only difference? The only difference was I was no longer rejecting that person in the process or attacking. The person that I had the conversation with called me back 15 minutes later and said, you won't believe this, but I actually agree with you. And I really liked the way that you handled the conversation. 
And I hung up and I was like, oh my God, it's just like that guy, Daryl Davis, who didn't reject. Like, because I was able to love that person, even though I didn't agree with them, I was still able to hold space for them to show their opinion. They no longer felt threatened that they were finally able to hear me. And because they were not in the defense and because they were not threatened and they actually heard me, they actually changed their mind. So I actually, quote unquote, won the justice fight because I finally gave it up. Yeah, that was huge for me. That was really big for me. Okay, so what about you? Yeah, so no, no, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Because so I mentioned at the beginning, but what helped me a lot was, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning about this defensive stance, right? Like where you're like, you don't even want to get in the fight because you're just always kind of trying to protect yourself. And when I was in injustice, injustice for me was in the throat. And it was the very first step that I needed to get over in order to get into rejection and all the other ones that followed, right? Because I kind of, I used the wounds as access to get further and deeper into my body and not be so afraid of being human. And so when I needed to get over injustice, injustice, like I said, I've been in it for for 30 years or really strongly for 10 years since I'd been in a relationship. And it felt like it just kept, it was just like the easy thing that I could, it was like a, the cream I kept skimming off the top of the milk sort of thing. It just like kept coming up and I was like, oh, I'm in injustice again. I'm in injustice again. It just felt like being on a record player. And so one of the things that helped was a conversation that I had with, I think it was around that time, but it was basically this whole idea that I was talking about, about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. What I started to recognize was that my injustice was stemming a lot from this belief in scarcity and this and this need to be perfect. It was these two things that really contributed to my injustice wound. Scarcity was, I only have a certain amount of energy and if I'm doing more than my fair share, I don't have that energy to spend on the things that I want to, right? So it goes back to kind of the self-abandonment idea of like, I'm just going to give up everything that I have for the good of the community. And then I'm not going to have anything, any time or energy for myself. Right? So that was one thing was the scarcity belief. And then the second one was this understanding and this needing to be perfect, needing to have my idea and opinion in the world and my solution be the solution that works. And that, again, that one goes back to a deeper one of, rejection right of this like if you listen to the rejection episode I talk about creative self-sabotage right and like how I would just not go into things and not do things and not present solutions because I was so afraid that they would be rejected once they finally came out and so injustice was like the tip of the iceberg for these other deeper wounds right that I was experiencing so when I started to recognize that scarcity So when I started to recognize, so I had to basically combat those two things. The -hmm. first thing that I had to do was I had to recognize, for one thing, there is not just a limited amount of energy in the world and that it wasn't just like I had an allocation for the day and that was done because I knew, I started to, to recognize that every single time I was really passionate about doing something, I found energy from the greatest, deepest stores of inside of me. There was always energy for the things that I love to do, right? Mm -hmm. So scarcity of energy is not true. It's just, it's a fallacy. It was the meaning you gave it. It was not true. Yeah. It was the meaning that I gave it. Uh, and it was also the idea that I am worth spending time on my own things. Like I don't need to feel guilty for doing my own thing first. If I do feel like I have a scarcity of energy that day, 
then I'll just do my own thing first and then I'll work on the communal thing. And I don't need to feel this need to always get up and clean or always get up and do whatever because the other person's not doing it. So much of it was self-imposed injustice, thinking that I should feel guilty because my partner was doing something. So then I just kind of flipped it and said, oh, well, you're not doing enough or I'm doing to, or, or I would like overcompensate for feeling guilty. So I had to forgive myself for the guilt that I felt whenever I needed a break or whenever I needed to take care of myself. So I did those two things with regards to scarcity. And then the third thing was recognizing that I needed to give myself room to fail. Mm -hmm. Right? So perfectionism is all about, for me, is about this fear of rejection and this fear of not being useful. Mm -hmm. Right? And if I give you a solution that isn't perfect or great or the best then maybe I'm not useful anymore and maybe you'll just get rid of me. Right. Right. So if I can recognize that a lot of my injustice is actually masking this real fear that I'm going to be left if I'm not useful, this like codependence part of it, or I'm going to be rejected if my solution isn't good enough, then I don't need to feel injustice anymore. I don't need to give you the perfect solution and I don't need to always be right. And by giving myself the freedom to not always be right, injustice dissolves really quickly. Because you know you're going to be loved unconditionally no matter what. And you know that effectively, even if you're wrong, you're still loved. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking to that, it's funny. I yesterday was rolling in the injustice of the pandemic and how we normally have, yes, I'm blessed and privileged that we normally have a housekeeper come every two weeks to my house. And with the pandemic, we don't, we have someone that we trust and she's only available once every few months. So my labor during the pandemic has quadrupled in terms of housekeeping because I don't have those same resources that I had before. And yesterday I was feeling the injustice of it. Mm -hmm. It's not fair that this happened and I have all this work to do, rolling in injustice, rolling in injustice. I was like, I have to change the way I believe about messes. I have to change the way I believe about cleanliness because it is making me unhappy. This injustice thing driving me to perfectionism that like my house has to be clean and in order when I have two small kids and two dogs, it's making me miserable. That's rigidity. That's perfectionism. I could see the injustice wound staring me at the face. So it was very funny. Yesterday I went outside to check the mail and there was a pile of paint cans by our trash can. That pile of paint cans has been there since I cleaned out the garage like six months ago because those paint cans need to be disposed of in a environmentally safe way. And Mm -hmm. I just, with all my stuff on my to-do list, I just have not gotten around to it. My husband hasn't gotten around to it. And we just have this pile of paint cans by the trash can. And Pretty much every day for six months, when I look at that pile of trash paint cans, I think, I fucking hate those paint cans. I can never do enough. This is messy. This is not perfect. I get start getting really rigid and into my injustice wound. Was well, as I'm walking towards the garage and I see the paint cans, I'm looking at them and I'm like, these fucking paint cans, I need to fucking take care of them. And I stop myself and say, no, Anna, just like the man who doesn't need water and food, you just need to change the meaning that you're giving the paint cans. What meaning do you want to give them? And I look at the paint cans and they're all lined up and all of their little handles are dropped. So they all look like smiley faces smiling at me. <laughs> and I swear I hear them tell me, they're like, it's my imagination, but I hear them say to me, Anna, we're just here to show you that life doesn't have to be perfect to be loved. And I'm like, 
yeah, that's true. And they're like, and you don't have to be perfect to be loved. I was like, that's true. Yep. And now that I accept that, maybe I'm ready to finally get rid of those paint cans. <laughs> they just had to, you had to they see had them ma- smiling. I had to see them smiling. I had to change the meaning I was giving the mess. Yeah. To kind of wrap this, this episode up, if you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I'm is ready. I wanted to kind of leave it on two beautiful quotes. One is from Albert Einstein. We've all heard before. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Mm-hmm. And I love this one by Pierce Brown. Man cannot be freed by the same injustice that enslaved it. Mm-hmm. We cannot free ourselves from the injustice wound if we're trying to make it right. We have to free the injustice wound when we realize that everything is fair and unfair at the same time and everything is perfect and imperfect at at the same time yep thank you for listening to this episode of tsf if this resonates with you we would love it if you could go onto apple podcasts and give us a review whether it's stars or actually writing something to us we always love reading it and it motivates us thanks and remember humility gratitude acceptance done Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilsey.com forward slash discover.